focus on the audience. There's somebody who is suffering in silence, who needs to hear your message. Focus on that individual and focus on how you can help him or her get through that challenge or that problem that you solve. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. Focus on what your audience needs, rehearse your planned spontaneity, and watch all your videos four different ways. These tips and others helped former technology executive Ed Tate win the World Championship of Public Speaking. But more than that, by using these and other tips, Ed has helped many speakers achieve confidence and better results. Listen in on my conversation with Ed Tate. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti. And as you may be aware, on this program, we have a combination of content and conversations on how you can, how your work can change the world when you tell the story of it. Communication skills for scientists, engineers, and anyone giving technical presentations. And it is my great pleasure to have as my interview guest today, the 2000 world champion of public speaking, Ed Tate. Thank you, David. Uh, I thank you for having me on your show today. I'm really, really excited about it, especially your audience, so the uh, technical professionals, if you will, because I've spent uh, 17 years as an executive in the computer industry. And uh, so I, this is my tribe. These are, um, these are my people. Your tribe. I'm so glad to have you with your tribe. <laughs> I enjoy being with this tribe. Um, well, you mentioned that, that technical background that you've got. I tell you what, by way of introduction, why don't you start there or wherever you'd like and tell us a little bit about your journey as a professional communicator. Well, as I mentioned, I spent 17 years as an executive in the computer industry, but my, my journey to become a, a better communicator began when I was eight years old. You see, I suffer from stuttering and there's no cure for stuttering. And David, as you're probably aware, as also is your audience, some of the cruelest people on the planet can be other children. And Bad so measure. my dad was in the military. We would go to new neighborhoods almost, it seemed like every 18 months or so. And then within a few days, the kids were making fun of me because, hey, the new kid, he stutters. And I got to the point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So we're about to move back to Chicago. And I was determined that the kids in the neighborhood would not make fun of me. So one thing I would do every day before school and after school, I would read magazines and newspapers out loud just to practice mm -hmm. my articulation. Mm -hmm. Also in the neighborhood, kids used to play basketball. So one day I had the bright idea to go to the basketball court and asked the kids, hey, who are your favorite players? They all told me who their favorite players were. And I started doing play-by-play -play at the playground of all the kids playing full court basketball. Oh, great. We moved to the new neighborhood. None of the new kids knew that Ed stuttered. From there, I go to a high school, South Shore High School in Chicago. And they had, we had a television studio. I became a news anchor for the next four years. Wow. I go to the University of Illinois. 
I gra- um, I actually get a job at a regular radio station, not a student-run radio station. Mm-hmm. I become the number one disc jockey for the next four years. I That's how I financed my way through college. And then I got into the computer industry where I had numerous positions as a spokesperson for the company. So that's my background. My original motivation was not to be made fun of by other kids. Not to be made fun of by other kids. <laughs> I, I, as I've known you for a number of years now, but did not know that you had a background as a radio DJ, uh, as do I. I shudder to think what I must have sounded like when I was uh, 15 years old and had my very first job at a small town radio station in in the Texas Panhandle. Um, and you know, I can really understand about the being made fun of as well, because as a uh, a child who grew up with a hearing impairment and couldn't always be sure that I was getting accurate information about what was going on around me, and who later had a hearing aid when I was in sixth grade. Mm. Um, I was kind of accustomed to that as well. Oh man! So yeah, you, you you can relate to where I was coming I from. Can, I can definitely relate to that. I sure yeah. can. By the way, being a disc jockey, one of the greatest jobs on earth. I, I've I've never had more fun with my clothes on. <laughs> never had more fun with your clothes on. I uh, yeah, I did. Uh, well, you don't want to hear about my background in radio, but it includes some some campus radio as well as some overnight uh, top 40 stuff. And yep. yeah, <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. And then I got, <clears throat> excuse me, interested in television in college and went that direction for a while and spent about 25 years in broadcast engineering before a training project catapulted me in a new direction. Well, wow. so, tell me about a time when you went in a new direction. Well, a couple times I've gone in a new direction and just, you know, to piggyback on what you talked about, I originally went to University University of Illinois to major in radio and TV. The my freshman year, the university dropped the radio and TV program because they said, "Hey, there's not enough jobs." This is back in the the day and age when, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth and there was only three major <laughs> networks. Right. Within 2 years, of me graduating from school, that's when we had the uh, the cable industry mm-hmm. catapult, you know, out of nowhere, and there there were hundreds, if not th- thousands, of jobs, if you will. So the University of Illinois was a little short sighted in their view <laughs> at that point in time. Now that that forced me to uh, at the time I had um, really good grades. I switched into the business program, the undergraduate business program. And that's how I began my career in a computer industry. Another shift is when I won the world championship of public speaking. For those of you unfamiliar with it, Toastmasters has an annual contest for the past 80 plus years or so. And think of it as the American Idol of public speaking. It's a nine-month competition, 30,000 plus contestants in the year 2000. I won the entire contest. And that was a game changer. It was a life changer. I entered the competition not expecting to win. I entered the competition because I received so much pressure from my local club to compete. Oh, and really? again, I competed with on the on the condition that I'm going to compete one time, one time only. Once I lose this contest, we will never have this conversation again. Never a guy by the name of Randall Sheldon, who was the founder of our club. And clearly he saw something that I didn't see in myself and the rest, as they say, is history. So those are a couple of shifts in my career. I want to pick up on what you just said. Saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. What did he see that you didn't? 
clearly he saw he, he saw some form of talent, if you will. And again, I didn't see it. You know, to me, Toastmasters was something fun, something that, you know, just making speeches, it just reminded me of like being on radio again, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of went into that radio mindset, that creativity mindset. But I didn't I didn't take it seriously. I didn't think this is something that I could, you know, I didn't think of it as a, as a real job, if you will, or a career that's something I, I could pursue. And clearly I was wrong. Because it was, you know, for Randall, it was clear as the nose on my face. And sometimes we need people who can help us point those things out, the things that we don't necessarily see in ourselves. And here's the thing I feel. Each of us has far more talent than we're either willing to admit or we just don't see or we just we've been doing it for so long. We kind of take it for granted. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take it for granted. And sometimes it just you need that perspective of someone else because we have our we all have our own blind spots. Oh, <laughs> I've got I've got I've got plenty of plenty of blind spots. Um, real quick, quick story, completely unrelated to this topic, but I have a coach and my coach is a lady by the name of Lisa Lorter. Go to LisaLorter.com. Anyway, uh, earlier this year, I, I've had two surgeries. First two major surgeries of my life, I got hip replacements. And because of COVID, you this was not this is not considered essential surgery because there's far more serious people who has more far more serious conditions than getting your hips replaced. Mm -hmm. However, the hospital informed my surgeon that hey, um, we've had a decrease in COVID cases. There are now hospital hospital beds available. You can schedule surgeries. So what we decided to do is schedule these surgeries 30 days apart. So I had my first major surgery, February 8th. I had my second one on March 8th, which is uncommon because these are major surgeries. And usually a minimum, you want three months. So anyway, I go through the surgeries. I'm recovering, recuperating, et cetera. So a couple of weeks ago, my coach, Lisa, says, OK, Ed, you know, you've you're recuperated now. You know, you're no longer on medications. You're no longer in pain, et cetera. It's time for you to start posting on social media again. And I gave her some very well-reasoned, well-rehearsed excuses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Really, really good at this. And she's a person who doesn't have any patience for excuses whatsoever. And all of a sudden she says to me, you've got 60 seconds. I got, I got 60 seconds to do what? She says, you got 60 seconds to post something on LinkedIn. And I said, Lisa, as you know, I'm the world champion of public speaking. That means I am the world champion of prepared presentations. <laughs> Preparation, that's that's my jam. That's my game. I am not the, the, the world champion of impromptu, extemporaneous, or table topics. And she says, okay, Mr. Preparation, you got two minutes to prepare. <laughs> or our coaching calls over. Now, the investment I've made in this coach is significant. And for me to have a call canceled before it began, that was unimaginable. So I literally looked at my journal. I posted an item. And you can go on LinkedIn and, and figure out what that is just two weeks ago. And as of this morning, 1,826 people have read that post, a post that I spent very little time thinking about or preparing for. Mm -hmm. 
And it's the most number of views on LinkedIn I've had the entire year. So the lesson for me is sometimes we just, you know, we, we spend way too much time overthinking things. And in my particular case, I'm, I'm you know, guilty of over-preparing, over, you know, and sometimes, you know, preparation can be a disguise for procrastination. Oh, I, I absolutely. I'll own that. I absolutely <laughs> that with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can be guilty of analysis paralysis. Oh, man. I'm just, you know, and hey, our tribe. What about our tribe here? That's right. You know? Hey, we're, yeah, all we're those, technical professionals. Yes, all those yeah. INTPs out there to use the minus <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and yet, okay, so we're both introverts. We both really want to prepare and, and we can prepare to the point of procrastinating. What happens for you when you get up in front of an audience? I'm still an introvert. That's another condition that never, never goes away. Um, but I'm an introvert who has extrovert moments, if you will. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to being on stage, here's my mindset. My mindset is there's somebody in the audience who's suffering in silence. And they need to hear the message that I'm bringing. And they Ed, don't get in the hear. way. So they, Sorry to uh, interrupt, but I just I wanted to underscore those words. They need to hear it. That's an audience focus. Completely audience, audience focus. focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I am audience focused, I get over nervousness very quickly. I still have butterflies. I still get nervous. This never goes away, regardless of the fact if you're pro- professional or not. You still have nervousness. However, there's a couple, I guess, tricks, if you will. Number one, I'm audience focused, number one. That reduces the amount of nervousness. So I shift the focus from me, because the reason you're nervous is because you're focused on yourself. You're, you're over-concerned about what other people think of you. That's right. And the moment you shift it from yourself to the, you know, to the audience, then that, that goes away. The other thing I do is I memorize what I'm going to say my first 60 or 90 seconds, mm-hmm. knowing how I'm going to start and also how I'm going to conclude gives me confidence. Yeah. So these two ideas, number one, shifting the focus from me to the audience. There's somebody suffering in silence in the audience who needs to hear this message and have the, the complete focus of the message on the audience and on the message and memorize what I'm going to, how I'm going to open and how I'm going to close helps me get through that nervousness. Okay. Okay. Those are great tips. Um, actually, you wouldn't have any reason to know this, but I have a new book coming out, the third book in my series of called The Speaker's Quick Guide. And this is The Speaker's Quick Guide to Presenting with Confidence. Mm. And the whole second chapter of the book is about what you just said about being audience focused. Wow. Wow. Because yeah. when, you're, when you're thinking too much about um, how you're going to come across, am I going to look good on the stage? That is just going to contribute to nervousness. But when you think, as you said, about who in this audience needs to hear what I'm bringing to them today, then that's just it's a whole different mindset, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, physicality, it, you, you, it reduces those those feelings of, yes. of nervous tension. And I would I would add, since this is, you know, for the most part, we have technical professionals, we're not necessarily talking about an actual stage. 
We're wow. talking presenting virtually. We're you know pre- presenting internally inside your organization. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 that's what we're referring to as a, as a stage. So anytime you're making a presentation in front of your peers, your superiors, your customers, your clients, etc., those are the stages that we're referring to. And these principles still work in those environments as well. That's right. They do. They do. I am looking forward to hearing more of your tips for our technical presenters uh, along the lines of what you were just talking about when we come back from a short break. Uh, we're all, we are going to take a, about a one-minute break here. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie, and I'm so pleased to have as my guest today, Ed Tate, and we will be right back. You are a knowledgeable expert and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. Welcome back to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie, and with me on the show today is Ed Tate, who was just talking a moment ago about being more audience-focused, which is a a theme of mine as well. I think that um, when you are worried about how you're going to come across in front of an audience, as speakers often are, as any presenters, whether you consider yourself a professional speaker or whether you're called upon to report about your work to your team or to your 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 board of directors or the C-level suite, uh, you're going to be nervous if you're thinking primarily about how you are going to come across. When you think instead, what does this audience need from me? What brought them here to hear me today? And how am I going to change how they think, act, or feel as a result of hearing me speak? That's That to me, when I learned that, and I learned a lot of that from Ed, by the way, that for me was huge. It was a huge change in the way I presented information. Um, In fact, uh, just in the interest of transparency here, I first met Ed Tate in, um, oh gosh, I have to stop and think about this. I believe it was 2011, so it was almost 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. when I went to one of the boot camps that you put on with uh, Darren LaCroix. Yes. And that was... uh, that was a, a game changer for me. It really was. Oh, well, thank you. So you were, uh, uh, you alluded to another, another tip that you wanted to share with our audience. Occasionally, again, as technical professionals, you'll, you, you might have this, the situation where you have to speak at a conference or you have to speak on a panel. So one thing, another technique I recommend is called splan- a planned spontaneity. What do I mean by this? Have you ever noticed politicians uh, when they're doing their stump speeches? And sometimes a reporter will ask them a question. And regardless of what the question was asked, that particular politician will give a specific answer. They'll give you the answer that they want 
the audience to hear. Mm -hmm. That's what we call planned spontaneity. And if you are speaking at a conference or if you're speaking on a panel, the thing I recommend you do is prepare some talking points in advance. Short, sweet, specific, especially if you're on the panel. Think of it as being on a show like this, being on a podcast or being on a TV show or a radio show. You have to talk in sound bites. And that's what planned spontaneity is all about. So prepare those short, sweet sound bites and share those with your audience. Again, this is another way of, again, you know what you're going to say in advance is a way of you building your confidence. David? That's great. You know what it, what it made me think of when you're talking about planned spontaneity? Um, I When I worked in television, I spent 11 years at the public television station in Austin, Texas, KLRU-TV, home of Austin City Limits. Hmm. So I worked on that well-known TV concert music program for 11 years. Wow. And I remember, I won't name this artist. She's a well-known performing artist who came in to record an episode of Austin City Limits. And she was in our studio, an empty studio, um, conducting her, uh, her, her rehearsal in the afternoon with our camera operators and the director, but no audience. And I just remembered watching her as she sort of saucily flirted with a spot on an empty bench <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the studio floor through this rehearsal. And then I, and I thought, how, how canned is that? And then I saw her perform that evening. And at that same point in her number, she was now flirting with the gentleman who happened to be sitting at that exact spot on that bench. And to him, of course, and everyone around him who saw this, it was totally spontaneous. Hmm. Little did they know that she had rehearsed with that particular empty seat <laughs> only a few hours before. And, and yet she did it so skillfully. Well, well, you reminded me of uh, I, one time a buddy of mine snuck me into a rehearsal of the, the, the late, great Robin Williams. Oh, yes. Okay. And he was practicing and rehearsing. And he had his staff throw out certain phrases from the audience and he would practice his response to them. And it was, it was absolutely remarkable. It was, you know, they would throw out, you know, five or six different types of responses and he would just, you know, he would be Robin Williams. Yes. No <laughs> one did it like Robin Williams. Yeah. And basically what it was is these are responses that audience members had done in previous for, with previous you know, shows, mm -hmm. he knew what people would say. He practiced that response. And then like, like Austin city limits with that particular artist, it was the audience went crazy, you know, and it was, again, it's a version of planned spontaneity. Yeah. This is a powerful technique. It is, it is planned spontaneity. So um, not to drill down on it too much, but can you give me some examples of the kinds of things that you might use in a, say, a technical presentation to a non-technical audience? That would be an example of planned spontaneity. Ooh, <laughs> man, it's been a long time since I've given, you know, technical presentations, mm -hmm. but like one of my, my, my plans, uh, spontaneity go-to lines, and it, it works every single time. And there's a reason, there's a psychology behind this particular line is, once I've shared a moment that I know that the, it really resonates with the audience, 
I will say to the audience, please tell your neighbor, this guy is good. A hundred percent of the time, people will laugh just like you laughed right there, et cetera. And they will turn to their audience and say, this, this guy is, is good. Here's another benefit and, of that. And I've heard you say that, and I've laughed every time. <laughs> now, here's another reason why I do it is because later on, when they're asked to do an evaluation, guess what they write on the evaluations? This guy, this guy is, good. is good. And then so the person who's hired me says, sees all these evaluations. This guy is good. Well, we got to bring him back. So that technique, why it, it seems self-serving, and it is, it actually is a key to me being hired over and over and over again. So again, that is that is the power of that specific line of planned spontaneity that has led into repeat business in my speaking career. And let's point out, too, that you're not just making yourself look good when you do that. You're making that meeting planner who hired you look good. Absolutely. And that's, that's the key to getting repeat business, isn't it? Yeah. And, I'm not, and I, don't, I don't tell the audience, please write down on your evaluations that this guy is good. I just say it, you know, in a joking type of manner. I've discovered over time that that's what people put on the evaluations. You've discovered that's what people put. That's a, that's a brilliant idea. You know, there's something else, a technique of yours that I have used in many of my training seminars. And that is um, near the end when I'll tell people, okay, I have a homework assignment for you. Take out your smartphone and make an appointment with yourself in the next 48 hours. Mm. And then I'll give them usually something specific to do as a follow-up to the material that we've covered that day. And, and I'll, I'll always tell them, uh, you know, do it within 48 hours, because after 48 hours, you'll have forgotten 93% of what you heard here today. Where that figure come from, I don't know. I heard it from someone else, so it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's various research that you can, you can Google, but the numbers are pretty consistent. It, it, they vary by 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. But basically, bottom line, because we're inundated with a volume of information from multiple sources that people don't even remember actually even attending a meeting or a conference one week later. So that's why it's critical that you set aside time. For example, I, you know, obviously I, I do this. This is actually appears on my calendar when I just attended a, a National Speakers Association monthly meeting. That was a Saturday. The following Sunday afternoon, it's at Review Your Notes review your notes. So I I go through that. I have meetings with my coach on a monthly basis. I made, I have made significant investments in this particular coach. So I I don't want that time to go, go to waste within 48 hours. I schedule a time and with appointment with myself where I review those notes and I decide specifically which ones I'm going to act upon. It's a simple idea, Mm -hmm. but it has tremendous results for you. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I believe it does. Yeah. It, it's just engaging with that material again within a very short span of time can have, uh, have tremendous results. Um, we, are, we are nearing the end. Let me ask you this, uh, and, and you may have already answered this really, but it's, it's a question I often come back to toward the end of my interviews. Um, if you had a chance to give just two minutes of your best possible advice to someone who is nervous about preparing a technical presentation, what would that be? Uh, Number one is be yourself. There has never been anyone on this planet like you and there never will be. 
don't try to copy or emulate somebody else. Just number one, be yourself. Uh, number two, again, focus on the audience. There's somebody who is suffering in silence, who needs to hear your message. Focus on that individual and focus on how you can help him or her get through that challenge or that problem or that you solve. Uh, number three, we've already talked about a couple techniques. We talked about planned spontaneity, you know, focusing on the audience. You know, those are some other things that you can do to, um, you know, to do a better presentation. This one, write this one down. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Do not wing it. Okay. Do not wing it. Uh, having been an executive in the computer industry, I, I, I've done this and I've seen countless other presenters in technology. Uh, the only time they, they, they practice something is when they're walking down the hall just before they presented something. That's right. <laughs> You know, preparation pre prevents poor results. I'm sure you've heard that aphorism many, many times before. But prepare. And by the way, um, one minute of preparation will save 10 minutes of rambling. One minute of preparation will save 10 minutes of rambling. So there are many benefits to preparing. And prepare out loud. Prepare in front of a camera, not a mirror. These are different ways that you can prepare that are gonna, that's going to make your next presentation a home run. We have a little more time, so I want to go back to something you said, because I believe I first learned this from you, that when you've recorded yourself on camera, there's a particular process you go through. Oh, yeah. With, with, yeah. with four steps. Yep. So there is, um, for example, the, both of us know a guy by the name of Craig Valentine. He has this aphorism, and the aphorism that is that which gets recorded gets rewarded. Mm -hmm. So with that spirit, there are four ways to record yourself. Now, repeat after me. I look like that. I look like I, that. I sound like that. I sound like that. Get over it. Okay. Over so it. we had the look and listen. Now it's going to be your turn. So number one, here's how to watch four ways to watch your video. Number one, don't watch your video. Listen to your video. Can I follow your presentation without seeing you, without seeing your slides, without seeing you present? So the first method in terms of reviewing your video is to listen to your video. Don't watch your video. Number two, watch your video without sound. The goal here is to see how you're coming across. Do you own the stage or the platform, et cetera, if you will? Are you, are you coming across confidently? So viewing number two is to watch yourself with no sound. Viewing number three is to watch yourself either fast forward or fast re reverse. It really doesn't matter. Watch it 2x speed, 3x speed, 4x speed if you can. And the purpose here is to determine if you have any distracting gestures. So for example, I there was an executive who I used to coach. And one of the things he used to do was to you know, pat his thighs like this. And I used to ask him, why do you do that? And he's, he says, why do I do what? So we went to the video and he looked like this <laughs> and he never did it again. Never did it again. So All step bad. number three is to watch your videos with either fast forward or fast reverse. Okay. Watch the fourth way to watch your video is regular speed, regular sound. Mm -hmm. Basically what's happening here is you're watching yourself through four different filters. And just by one session of this, watching yourself four different ways, your presentation will dramatically increase. 
I agree 100%. And the other thing I would add to that is try to get in the habit of watching yourself and saying, what does this speaker look like? What does this speaker sound like? What uh, annoying mannerisms does the speaker have? In other words, try to think of the person you're seeing on the screen in third person. So yeah, that's a great so one. Much, I like that. So it's not so much, what do I sound like? What do I look like? Oh, I, I, I look terrible and sound goofy. Uh, but try to get in the habit of, of viewing that person on the screen as a, someone who's in the third person. What is this person doing? A fifth way. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show with me. I really appreciate this. Ed. I appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule. Thank you. And as we wrap up, um, why don't you tell our audience how they might follow up with you and gain some more of your experience and wisdom? Okay. Well, my website is edtate.com, E-D-T-A-T-E.com. We help organizations and individuals win high-stakes presentations. And what do I mean by a high-stakes presentation? It could be, could be a job interview. It could be presenting to your leadership team. It could be some form of a sales or a pitch, et cetera. So we help individuals and organizations win high-stakes presentations. If you need help in that area, uh, we... I, I coach people, and we again, we also help organizations. Uh, ed, 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 uh, ed at com is my email address, and um, that's basically it, David. Thank you, Ed. And if anyone would like to follow up with me with questions about this program, suggestions for future guests, or just to have a conversation, go to storyandscience.com. Simply storyandscience.com. That will take you to the homepage of this program. And from there, you can explore. And when you find a button that says schedule consultation, you can click there and go straight to my calendar and grab 15 minutes. And we can have a chat about whatever is on your mind. I love to hear from my viewers. Thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. Leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.